0: this week's episode of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WBEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro your community radio station. I'm your host Olga Peters and this is the show where we talk about how everything in Montpelier shakes out for the rest of us. I want to welcome to this episode regular contributor Emily Kornheiser who's one of three representatives for the town of Brattleboro. Hello Emily. Hello, Olga. Good to see you today. good to see you too. And I also want to welcome Senator Jeanette White, who is one of our senators from Wyndham County, as well as Molly Stoner, who is one of our brave teachers who stands in front of a room of nine-year-olds, which we were all talking before the break, terrifies the majority of us. So, (laughs) Molly, thank you for, for being here today. And we want to update listeners on... What has been happening around the pension discussion and efforts to fill the funding gap that exists right now in the state employee and state teacher pension funds. The reason Jeanette and Molly are here today is they were both members of, and bear with me folks, because this is a mouthful, the Pension Benefits Design and Funding Task Force. Jeanette was the co-chair. Molly, I believe, was representing the Vermont NEA. So, so glad you can both be here. I'm just gonna give a very quick lay the groundwork, and then I would love if we could dive in to start updating listeners. But basically, the task force started meeting last July, and I believe you held just under 20 meetings between now and January, and I think it was on January 10th, the task force submitted um, its final report and recommendations. for for both the pensions and just a sampling of recommendations in the report include things like modifying the cost of living adjustment and increasing contributions from the employees and the teachers, appropriating some one-time funding to help raise, kind of catch up on what's been underfunded, allocating some general fund money in, the, in future years to help kind of, again, bolster the, the funds, and then also create a Department of Corrections benefit group, too, which I would love to hear more about at some point about why that recommendation is there. So that's just kind of the really broad framework. And so I'd love to hear right now from either Molly or Jeanette, where are we right now? Like, what is really important for people to understand at this
1: moment about this very long, very deep process? If you don't mind, Molly, I just, I'm just i going to give just a little bit of background about where we are. I think that there always has a, been a real misunderstanding about the state not paying its fair share. And it is true that there was a time when the state didn't pay its full obligation. That is absolutely true. But since 2007, it has made the required payments and additional amounts. So... I think we need to understand that there, we're talking really here about four buckets, the teacher's pension, the teacher's health care, the state employee's pension, and the state employee's health care. So there really are four buckets that need to be fed into every single year. One of the real problems was that the health care buckets were never pre-funded. So what that meant was that if the health care bill, for example, for the teachers, for the year 2014 was $2 million. $2 million came out of the general fund. There were no, it wasn't funded at all. There were no investments to help with that. Everything had to come from the general fund.
2: So can I I back up even further? So, I just want to make sure our listeners understand that the state sort of carries the responsibility for pensions. For state employees and for teachers, because teachers are the sort of school district's responsibility for those is held by the state. And then, um, in addition to sort of the regular pension payments that come as part of that, retired folks also retain health benefits, similar to sort of the health benefits, right. some little similar to the health benefits that they had while they were employed by either the state or their school districts. And so, those are sort of the buckets that Jeanette's talking about. They're the responsibility for paying the regular pension payments for those Vermonters who have served our state, and for the health care benefits for Vermonters that have served our state.
1: Thanks. That is, it is. And there's some debate here, and we'll continue this debate about how much for teachers should be coming out of the general fund and how much should come out of the education fund itself. But that's an ongoing conversation. So I don't think we should, who should go there. But we have now started pre-funding the health care buckets And we are putting more money into the pension buckets. (laughs) So I I know that that sounds pretty stupid to talk about them as buckets, but that is what wasn't happening and what is now happening. And we also have to look at the assumptions that were being made about the demographics. And what we found is that the assumptions that the actuaries were making were inaccurate because more people... We're retiring and living longer, which increased the pension payouts and the healthcare payouts. So we needed to adjust the, both the assumptions, and we needed to. Uh, the, so that's where the increase in contributions and the COLA adjustments help can with I step those. Back one more time.
2: Yeah, yeah. One more, like one more deep framing. You know, realize. I have
1: to say, ha- Molly and I have been so immersed in this for so long that I forget that everybody doesn't know the same things we know. Yeah, we,
3: we So might, Molly, like, were you going to jump in? Well, I was just going to say we might want to go a little, uh, take our, our lens out a little further mm-hmm. because I'm hearing some, what to me feel a little bit like details around COLA and whatnot, because that's sort of the end of the process and the agreement we came to. But basically a couple things happened. Like, like Jeanette said, the state was finding itself in a situation where the projections of money that was going to be owed on the pensions was considerably higher, was going to make the payments annually have to be higher and higher in order to, to be able to pay off debt and also to keep the fund healthy. And so that was an issue already. Demographics were an issue already. And then with the way that actuarial math works, there sometimes needs to be an adjustment made. And so there was an adjustment made a year, I don't even know exactly how many months ago, but somewhere in the year to two ago, that made the actuarial math reflect reality a little more closely, where People were or the the assumption was that we were going to be getting seven and a half percent return on the money that was invested. And that was dropped down to seven percent. And when you're talking huge dollars, that has a huge effect on the long term liability. The amount of money that's owed over, I think, the the window they were looking at was through 2038. And so that meant that the annual payment that the legislature was going to have to come up with was going to rise significantly. And so there were a lot of factors at play. Some was the underfunding that Jeanette had referred to from 1979 to 2007, I think all but four years of that. Some was this demographic change that was people living longer. Also, the number of teachers in the state had dropped. And so the amount of money going in was less than expected in some of those assumptions. And then there were issues with the investments themselves and how they were returning. And so they had we had to look at that as well. And... That's something that the legislature did and created some some systems that will allow for closer inspection, both annually and every three years instead of every five years moving forward. So that's sort of a I think I've backed out, you know, further away from the problem. And now maybe we can get into to details.
2: I think that's helpful. I want to back out even further. Oh, dear, oh, dear. How no, we're fund. back at July now. No, no, not back further in time. I just want to make sure that we explain <laughs> no. how a pension fund works. So not like the deep math of it, but just like the basics of it. So you may- Vermont has this big old pot of money that we call a pension fund, and it's managed by some people that are not legislators. That's sort of a com- it's a board. And so that money is managed by this group of people. And the way money gets into the fund is that folks who are working pay into that fund while they're working, and the state pays into the fund regularly in some loose matching quality? And the idea uh, is that the money that the people who are paying in gets invested, and there'll be enough returns on that to essentially pay for those folks in the future when they're retiring. But the folks who, sort of, as Molly said, the folks who paid in in the past are now retired and there's more of them than the people who are paying in now. And as Jeanette said, the demographics are sort of different than we understood. As a college educated white woman, I'm very grateful that I'm probably going to live forever. And most of the teachers are also college educated white women who might also live forever along with me. And so that changes our demographic assumptions in these years. And then the investment returns, as Molly said, were different than folks thought they were. But the basics of the fund, I just sort of want to make sure that everyone understands that like, it's just basically this pot of money that sits there. And because it's really important that it stays quite full, because the more that's in there, the more returns we have on it in order to pay for the actual day-to-day needs of retirees, those payments that are going out for retirees. So that's my 80,000 foot for someone who's never thought about pensions before in their lives. Okay.
3: Okay. And just one little clarification on the health insurance piece that I wanted to say earlier is just that the most of when the health insurance is something that the legislature has to cover is until the age of 65 when Medicare kicks in. So we, we talked a lot also about that time frame and where retirements happen and whether there are ways to incentivize keeping people in until 65 but not as a you know one of the big issues with the original plan was the the part of the plan was to ask teachers to work longer you know which you know for for myself for example that was going to mean seven more years in the classroom when i thought i had about five left so that was something that i think teachers really said whoa 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 do you guys understand what this job is like (laughs) you know that was one of the things that motivated me honestly to to get involved in the issue so thank you molly yeah.
1: I will say that the task force, do you do you want to talk about the task force at all? I think it would be helpful to understand who was
2: on the task force as a starter.
1: So the task force was set up, and, and I will say this right up front, that the one of the things that I think we learned, I mean, we always knew but didn't always pay attention to, is that when you're dealing with issues, you have to have everybody at the table. You have to have everybody who's impacted at the table to have the conversation. So, I I mean, we all know that, but sometimes I think that's forgotten when we're just trying to get things done. So, what happened is that last year in ACT, Molly, was it 75? I think I can't remember numbers, but I think it was 75. We set up a task force made up of 12 people. So, there were two senators, three House members, three NEA representatives, two Vermont state employee representatives, and one Vermont Troopers Association. They're part of VSEA, but they have a separate bargaining unit. So that made, and then, so that was six and five, and then the commissioner of the Department of Financial Regulation, who was there representing the administration. So this was a 12-member group. And at the very beginning, one of the people who, one of the doubting Thomases said, you can't have a 12-member group because you need to have a tiebreaker. You need to have a an odd-numbered group. And I said, no, we do not, because we are not going to have a tie. We are going to have a unanimous vote. That's just the way it's gonna happen. Because if we don't have a unanimous vote on this issue, it's dead in the water. So, and we did have a unanimous vote, but that's what the committee was made up of. And Molly, I don't know if you wanna talk a little bit about some of the people that we heard from and listened to, we, <laughs> it was a lot.
3: Yeah. And I would add, too, that we also had a non-voting member. The deputy treasurer was was at our meetings and was a really great resource for us, as was the treasurer who came a lot. So we had a a lot of people testifying. One person in particular who was there every single meeting and started to feel like a member of the task force was Chris Roop of the uh, Joint Fiscal Office. And he just provided so many summaries for us so so many charts and graphs and uh, so much education about how funding in the state works actually in funding of the pensions in particular and the interplay of different funding sources <clears throat> and then he also helped guide any requests that we had for actuarial math so we we might request that you know that that there be some kind of demographic Uh, data. And he could help to pull that out if it existed already in the state or put it out to actuaries that we were working with for a fee. Part of Act 75 was that we had some funding to, with actuaries and with legal counsel so that we could make sure that what we were coming up with was going to work both mathematically and legally. (laughs) And then we heard from, oh my goodness, we heard from people on the On the committees that Representative Kornheiser was referring to about the investments, we heard from people within state government about demographics and about just employee, all sorts of different employee issues. We heard from other national organizations about pension issues and how things, we looked at comparisons with other New England neighbors or other Northeast neighbors and across the country, other same size states. I'm sure there's more, Jeanette. I've let a lot of it go downstream because my head is now back full of fractions and multiplication.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Probably probably a good thing, but uh, if I, I, oh, go ahead, Emily. I have a question about that process of listening, which is that my experience watching sort of the formation of the task force was that folks went in with really different understandings of what the problem was that they were trying to solve. And so I'm really curious about what the testimony was that helped you guys come to the same problem, or if you ever came to an understanding of the same problem, or like what, that part is very interesting to me about your process. And I wasn't able to track it I don't know, to not understand that. I don't know that there was any one
1: testimony that was given. It was hours and hours and hours of people coming in and graphs and and if anybody has a real really wants to get into the weeds on this everything is on the task force's website all the graphs all the reports all the testimony that was given to us so i don't think there was any one thing i think that it took us first of all there there was a fair amount of mistrust when we first started and it took us and all of us not on the same page, like you said, Emily, about where we were and what the problem was that needed to be solved. And I think that that understanding just came through listening to people come in and testify and listen to to people giving us reports and graphs. And And we, we really heard from everybody that anybody wanted to hear from. We were pretty open about that. And Kind of the way the process worked then is that kind of once we got to the point where people felt pretty, uh, the interim report that we produced was a group effort that said this is we know now this is where we are. This so there was that common understanding, and then what happened is that then the details started happening. Well, what if we did this and each of the three the representatives from each of the three people uh, groups that were affected, the teachers, the state employees, and the troopers, we met kind of in smaller groups and they came up with ideas. What if we did this and this and this? And then that would be what Molly was referring to, that would be sent to the actuary. And they would come back and say, that's not gonna work. You gotta look at this, you gotta tweak this, you gotta tweak. So then they would come up with another set of proposals Send that to the actuary. I think we went through that process three times. Am I right, Molly? So that the final was the came from the third actuarial reports.
3: Well, it's a little hard to say because there were pieces of different yeah. ones. Like when the actuarial reports come back, they basically say, if you do this, you'll save mm-hmm. this amount of money. And then so sometimes we tweaked bits of a of like maybe the first or second one. And then there was a piece that came in the end later much later that was for the Vermont State employees. But I think also just to address Emily's question too about the process, I, I think it took us some time you know I remember at one meeting, maybe three or four meetings in referring to the old like you know ropes course training that I had done years ago and saying you know when you form a group, there's storming you know there's there's forming, storming, norming, and performing and we're kind of in the storming phase right now, folks, you know because we were definitely pushing back on each other and I think there was some some periods where, You know i i can't speak so much for how things happen within state employees workplaces but i think that things in the education world are very process oriented and tend to be very collaborative in nature maybe more so than is effective i don't know but and i think some of us i'll speak for myself anyway i i wanted to see some of that sort of a uh, real norming work of like, how are we going to function in a way that brings all the voices actually to the table. So, you know, we asked for things like forming agendas collectively. So then we made uh, time at the end of every meeting, sometimes earlier in the meeting to make sure we were addressing the next meetings agenda setting. And I think that, you know, that might seem like a little thing, but I think it's quite significant, because it basically says every voice matters. and. And we don't have like a leader creating an agenda, but we have, you know, all these people saying, I really want to see X or Y. You know, I think another part of the process is, you know, we went through that storming. People pushed back on each other a little bit and, and really developed a lot of respect for each other. And I don't think there was a member around that table at the end who wouldn't say that they highly respected all the other 12 members of the task force. Because I think we had all really shown each other our you know capacity to listen, capacity to question, capacity to dive in and really you know dig around in numbers and questions and changing our own assumptions also. So part of it was just the, the people at the table and what they were willing to bring to the task over time. I had another thought that I, oh I know. Jeanette, may I toot your horn a little bit You don't know what I'm going to say, but I'm going to toot your horn a bit. Well, there was something that you did. That's just probably in your nature that I think was really significant. And that is at one point, midway through, Jeanette started keeping a list of all the ideas that she was hearing from people, like every idea people had about what might contribute to the solution. And then she typed them up and probably somewhere in early to mid November, we had a meeting where we went through those ideas and, you know, as as union reps, we had met before and said, OK, what are we not willing to look at? What looks really good and what are the yellow lights kind of issues? And I don't know if that happened on the legislative among legislative members, too. But, you know, so we came to the meeting and we all went through that list. I think it happened over two meetings, actually. And, and we really had to have hard conversations about some of the issues at that meeting. and. And I really think that the, the fact, Jeanette, that you put every single idea down and that we gave airtime to every single idea was significant. I think that was a really good part of the process. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm,
0: really, <laughs> I'm really, I'm <laughs> really. So, no, I just want to quickly jump in, Emily, and let you know we have like three minutes before we have to go to break. So just giving you a time check.
1: Can I just say one other thing that I did think that we did when um, Molly talked about setting the agenda together? Mm-hmm. The other thing we did is at the beginning of every meeting, we devoted like 15 or 20 minutes or however long it took to reflect on the last meeting. What did we learn? What, did, what was outstanding? What was frustrating about it? Where should we have gone that we didn't go? Where did we go that we shouldn't have? So I think that was very helpful because then that helped us also then when we were setting the
2: new agenda. So that is like absolutely the work world that I have spent much of my career in is like that kind of deep human process stuff, like you described, mm-hmm. Molly. And it is so far from how the legislature does most of its work. And so I am so curious. Like I just want to, I want to spend, I want to dive into that maybe more after the break, or just even hear like Jeanette. Was that like I don't know? Do you want all of your task forces to be like that? Like I'm just, it's that that's the not, same to me. that's kind of the way
1: our committee works but
3: i think it was also something that i mean i'll toot educators horns a little bit (laughs) i Mm -hmm. do think that the educated education members on the committee brought that a bit you know we Mm -hmm. we really pushed and said you know what we're here we are here and this is how we'd like to be recognized as being here and i think some of the VSEA members also one in particular was of a very similar mindset Mm -hmm. um and really towed the line of all voices are equal here and Jeanette Mm -hmm. said that multiple times you know all this is this is all voices, you know, so I think we just made the processes reflect that sentiment and and we stuck with it and stormed through it until we got to where we felt like we were really in the norming, you know, and then we performed. (laughs) Thank you, Molly Stoner, Jeanette White, Emily Kornheiser.
0: We're going to take a quick break so we can hear from some of our underwriters on WVEW 107.7 LP Bratimer. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. second half of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. If you're just joining us, I am your host, Olga Peters, and I am speaking with Representative Emily Kornheiser, educator Molly Stoner, and Senator Jeanette White from Wyndham County. We are talking about pensions in the state. And Emily, what do we need to remind people of?
2: Well, the views and opinions expressed here on the Montpelier Happy Hour are those of the host and the guests separately. They are not the views and opinions of the radio station or the TV station or anyone's employers or partners or anyone else they talk to throughout the day, just those of the hosts and the guests. Thank you very much.
0: Let's dive in. I'd love to hear what some of the components are in the final report and the recommendations going forward, just so we can kind of let people know what's on the table.
3: Sure. Well, so at a certain point, probably, I would say mid-December, it became clear that it was time, Jeanette had, had talked about how earlier in the process, at one point we split into groups and started looking at some of the nitty gritties of our particular groups, and I would say it was probably mid to late December, it became clear that we really needed to do pretty much the rest of the work in our individual groups because our pensions were structured quite differently. There were a lot of things that were different between the state employees and the teachers, which I could go into, but I don't know that we have time for it. So you can let me know if you want more detail. Um, So we started meeting in smaller groups to sort of iron out the details. And we also met with some representatives who hadn't been on the pension task force, but knew more about the funding sources and the budgetary process. And they helped us think through some pieces, too got back some critical actuarial uh, numbers. And so we were able to start chewing on how much we could be cutting down the ADEC, which is the amount of money that the legislature needs to raise for the pensions in a year. And so, you know, we, again, Chris Roop helped tremendously through this process. And what we came up with is a real balanced approach. And it included on the teacher side, which I can speak to more specifically the the VSEA side i'm not sure i have all the details down because i wasn't part of those final negotiations but on the teacher side we ended up with 125 million in uh one time monies the act 75 had put aside 150 million and the idea was to split that 75 and 75 between the two unions and then another 50 was found for the teacher side, in part to make up for those years of underfunding. We had had projections drawn up by the treasurer's office about what that underfunding, what portion of the shortfall that underfunding might have come to. And the estimate was between 350 and 400 million. And so we were asking for more than the 75 to help, to begin to help make up for that. And so it was 125 million in-one-time money. There is also a growth period, I think, of three years to a point at which there would be $15 each year in addition to the ADEC to go in, again, to in part make up for some of that underfunding. And then if there's a surplus in any given year, 25% of that surplus would also go into the pension fund. So that the, the
1: surplus fee. the surplus isn't a surplus in the pension fund the surplus That's is great. if the amount the revenues exceed the expenses in the state then there, that if there is a surplus there in the did general I, sorry, fund did I say in, the pension in the general, fund? Fund. Okay, in the general
3: fund sorry did I speak I, I might have misspoken there sorry about that no, no that 25 percent would would then go into um, the pension. And then on the teacher side, what we did is we took, teachers were paying either 5% or 6% of our salary annually into the pension fund, depending on when you were hired. And we we were working at least, in, <clears throat> Vermont NEA had its own internal task force that we got feedback from, the three reps got feedback from them along the way. And one of the things that that internal task force felt very strongly about was, was that any contributions would be progressive in nature because mm-hmm. what had ended up happening with the five and 6% is that the teachers who had been there longer and were overall making more were paying 5% and the newer hires who were overall making less were paying 6%. So we actually created something kind of similar to the federal income tax where we looked at the the first $40,000 would be, we would pay 6% on that. And mm-hmm. then we'd pay, I think, I have the chart somewhere, but it was 6.75 maybe on the next 20,000 etc stepping up to there were five tiers and that that is going to that'll be phased in we had, you know, here's an example of the negotiations we had originally talked about a five year phase in and we needed to step that back to three because it wasn't actuarially getting us where we needed to be so we said Okay, we can step it back to three years. Mm-hmm. And so we're, you know, we're paying significantly more into it now where some teachers who were paying 5% will be paying over seven in a couple years. And that's part of our contribution. The other part of our contribution has to do with COLA, uh, the cost of living increases, where we used to have a 12-month freeze. So after you retired, your, CO- your COLA would stay the same for 12 months and then you would start receiving a COLA or your, your pension would stay the same mm-hmm. and then you would start receiving a COLA. We upped that to 24 months, which results in an actuarial gain for the system. And teachers have always had a 50% of COLA part of our pension, whereas state employees had 100% of COLA. And so that was one of the things we talked about in our negotiations. And what we decided is that we would engage in sort of a risk share where teachers would remain at 50% of COLA until the... The health of the fund became 80 percent. It's been more like 50, 51. It's up to 52.7 after last year's strong numbers. But when it gets up to 80, we'll start to increase seven and a half percent each year until we're also at 100 mm-hmm. percent. So we're we're taking some hits in cola in the short run in terms of you know not having any. COLA for the first two years now, and also only receiving a zero to 4% instead of a one to 5%. But then there's potential for that slightly higher percentage of COLA if the health of the fund is strong. And that's what we all want. So, mm-hmm. and and I would say that the state employees plan is very similar. It It's not exactly the same, mm-hmm. but it's similar. Jeanette, I don't know if you have the details of the state employee. There's so oh. different groups too.
1: Yeah, no, I... I there's just way too much detail. I think that if people want to see the detail, they can go to the the website and look at the actual report, which has the detail in it so everybody can see because there's, I mean, we're talking here about actually a couple different groups. We're talking about the the judges, the group, what is known as Group F employees, which are the regular, most of the state employees, and then the troopers, which is another group. And so, oh, and I'm, I am so I'm the all of them did the much of the same things adjustments to cola adjustments to the employee contributions changing the amount of time before things kicked in but they were all pretty similar so I am going to just mention one thing that you brought up earlier Olga was the group G cuz you you mentioned that and what group G is currently corrections Frontline corrections people have really, really difficult jobs. And we know that. And they're, it's a pretty dangerous job. And so what we're trying to figure out is, can they have a different group than just the regular state employees that is more similar to what the law enforcement has? That is not the actuary, actuarials are doing it right now and looking at that. So that has not, that is not in the final report yet. It will, as soon as the they come back with the numbers, we'll look at it and see if it, because it has to be budget neutral. Mm-hmm. So we'll look at that and see what, the original report that came back said that the employees would have to contribute 30% of their income to the pension, which oh. is a little bit high. So yep. um, they were, they're looking at some adjustments. But anyway, so that's where Group G is. It isn't. It isn't anything yet, but it's being looked at. Thank you, Jeanette.
2: Molly, I was really excited about that progressive pay in structure. Um, I think that's something. You know, what I've heard in my limited time in the legislature, in having sort of some of these conversations, is that teachers and school employees keep on coming back with proposals like this. Like I remember, you know, in healthcare negotiations a few years ago, there was a real emphasis that, you know, people working in the school as aides rather than teachers shouldn't have, you know, should have a progressive deal for getting accessing their health insurance because they make so much less. And I just really appreciated that sort of attention of the members of the union to sort of like really taking care of your own in a way that was fair and equitable. That's the kind of really cool creative thinking I think that comes when you have the folks who are impacted at the table for those conversations.
1: We do have to remember that many, many of the people who work in the education system are not covered under the education pension plan. They are part of the municipal pension plan because they're not, if they're not certified teachers, they're covered under a different system. So they aren't impacted by any of the decisions that were made here at all.
3: And their plan is quite healthy right now. Yes. Which is why, why it's it a, a
1: relatively a new plan, so yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: It looks like we have uh, about
0: ten minutes before the the end of the second half. So I wanna touch base the task force final report was presented on January tenth, or, or at least submitted on January tenth. So what's what's gonna happen with that report? What happens next? What can we expect moving forward?
1: Well, if you've read any bills, you know that the drafting structure of bills is very particular. So what has to happen is that the report and the agreements that were made have to be put into bill form. And so putting it into bill form is our drafter is working really hard to get that done. And what has happened so far is that she has done a a rough draft. It has gone out to everybody to say, is this in fact does this reflect exactly what we agreed with? And sometimes there are little nuances, like there were a couple things with the Troopers Association that were a little bit unclear in the way that the report was. And so people have then made their comments and sent them back. So we it has gone to the NEA, the VSEA, the Troopers, the Appropriations <laughs> Committee, the, everybody that's had any input into this to see and she is, I believe, about to finalize the draft. And it has once again gone out to everybody to comment on and make sure that what was agreed upon is actually in the legislation, because we do not want to start picking at the legislation, because that means picking at the agreement that was made. So we wanted to, the legislation to be exactly what was agreed upon, because if we start picking at any one thing then the potential is there to start picking at everything and then the it falls apart and it really was a compromise and a collaboration on everybody's part and so personally i don't want to see anybody start picking it apart once we've once everybody has agreed to it so we need to make sure that what was agreed to is actually what is reflected in the bill does that make any sense I'm hoping that it'll be done by the end of perhaps the end of this week or the beginning of the next week so that we can get it introduced into the committee and as soon as it gets introduced into the committee we will make a committee bill out of it send it to the floor for it. and then it has to then it will pass the senate we hope and then it will go to the house
2: and that's going to be a fascinating process because as anyone who listens to this show or knows anything about politics very rarely do we have something that passes as introduced. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be up to all of the legislators in the, both the House and the Senate who really believe in the work of the task force to protect the language of that bill really, really fiercely to make sure that amendments aren't introduced that mess with the really special nature of the compromise. Yeah. And, Thank you, uh,
0: Jeanette and Emily. That was one question I had, uh, and this might be a question, it might be a clarification, I'm I'm not quite sure, but when this task force was created, part of the goal behind it, I believe, was to sub- make these recommendations, submit this report so that legislation could be built from it. Right. So I guess my question is, do you think that will sway any of your fellow lawmakers? Because if the intention from the beginning was to give... The task force this ability to create a report that you know the a law would then be built on top of does that carry extra weight? Well, I'm
1: not exactly sure what. Do
0: you want sometimes? Oh no! jump
1: in
0: for
3: a second here, just quickly? Is that mm-hmm. okay, Jeanette? Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say that I think. Along the way, the members of the task force really checked in with each other and we all stated for each other when there were things being talked about that we felt would not pass through our our constituents. And so for me, that meant, oh, this is not going to work for Vermont NEA members. You know, for Jeanette, that meant you know, that doesn't sound right for what the Senators need, you know for, Sarah Uh coppola Hansis, John Gannon, um, Peter Fagan, that's like, well, that's not gonna work in the House or that this isn't something that we think the governor would support. And so those conversations happened all along the way. And the goal was that the final report would be something that all members of the task force would be able to support, but also support really strongly enough that they felt like they could bring it in full integrity to their constituency. I think we did that. I don't, you know, I don't know the inner workings of Montpelier nearly as well as probably all three of you. But, you know, we really did a lot of hard work along the way. And people had conversations with key players within their own groups the whole way along the way. Do you think that's a fair
0: statement? That I understand. That wasn't quite my question. I understand that the task force has come to consensus, but now it has to go through the legislature.
2: And I think what Molly was saying about the task force's consensus is that each of the legislative members of the task force were sort of speaking for their whole body and hypothetically were constructing things that could pass the whole body. That does not, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy to keep people's little fingers off of it <laughs> because, because everyone thinks they can do better mm-hmm. than this group that worked for six months because that's, an. you need to have a certain level of ego to be a legislator. We've talked about that before. And so it's going to take a lot of really strong leadership and a lot of really strong respect from of legislators for the work of the task force to be like, You know, I'm not going to try to amend this by adding another revenue, by adding a new revenue source. I'm not going to try to amend this by, you know, cutting this little piece because the teacher that's my next door neighbor told me they would prefer it this way. Or it's, you know, Mm -hmm. it's going to take a pretty profound degree of self-control on the part of House and Senate members to say this is as good as this can be today and to pass it through. And I think a lot of that's going to sit with the respect that we have for the folks who sat at the table.
1: And Molly is right. We've been we haven't been ignoring all those people out there. I am sure that John and Sarah Copeland Hanses have been talking to the their House members and we certainly have been talking to our our Senate members. And so we have five members on the on the Government Operations Committee. Only one was on the task force, but we have five, and that's going to pass, so it'll pass out of our committee. Then there are seven members on the Appropriations Committee, and they've already been taking testimony on on what the state appropriations are going to be. So you have now hopefully 12 people who are strongly supportive of this bill, and we just need to make sure that, as Emily said, We can keep people's little fingers out of it.
3: Well, and it's an interesting thing process wise, just to bring it back to the process question, you know, if there's something that is so completely different, I'm of the mind to state that right up front and, you know, and to say, hey, here's something coming down the pike that's really, really different. And, you know, we want to take a moment to think about how, you know, what we will do and what we won't do if we're trying to maintain the integrity of this bill exactly as it's written exactly as the 13 member task force presented it i don't know thank that's you. what i do with my fourth graders anyway <laughs> 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 well, you know you always start right off with this is what's going to happen next <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know i think, think that, that we can learn a
2: lot as legislators by spending more time thinking about what works for an elementary school classroom
3: right. so thank <laughs> you for adding that
1: they're probably much more disciplined
3: <laughs> well they they also are you know they they do have a certain amount of willingness to listen to an adult in charge as well not as much as they did 30 years ago at the beginning of my career <laughs>
0: Well, on that note, we are just about out of time, unfortunately. Molly Stoner, Jeanette White, really wonderful to have you on the show today. Hey, Emily, if folks want to find out more information, where can they find that?
2: So folks can find me at emilykornheiser.org, where you'll find links to my email, social media accounts, weekly office hours, newsletter, all those things. And we will link to the Pension Task Force report and web page landing page in the show notes if folks want to dive into the details
3: there great thank you so much for having us
2: thank
0: you yes this has been the montpelier happy hour on wvew 107.7 lp Brattleboro, your community radio station and we will see you all